there, I'm Anne-Marie McQueen, editor of Live Healthy, and this is the Live Healthy podcast. Each week we interview health and wellness leaders and talk about all the things that are good for you, which you can also read about in our online magazine, the only one of its kind for men and women in the UAE. And now, here's this week's guest. Okay. Hi, Nazreen. How are you? Hi, Anne-Marie. How are you? Very good. Finally, we connect. We've been circling each other on social media for a long time. Yeah. That's what I love about social media, though. You can stay connected. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I know people from LinkedIn, but and I also know them from Instagram, but I haven't connected in my brain that it's the same person. Does that ever happen to you? Yeah, because I think we have different personas depending on the platform. It's like when you see your work buddy at a party or something and you're like, hey, that's Jane from accounting. She's cool. (laughs) Okay, so you have a really interesting background and I want to get into that. But And we'll go into it. But first of all, just off the top, what you're doing, you've created Layaz, which is a digital platform that's aiming to do the big you know, I think one of the biggest problems try aiming to solve or address one of the biggest problems, which is we are all facing these crazy rates of chronic diseases. And it's pretty obvious what needs to be done in our lifestyle to address it, but, but people can't do it. And so you're trying to fix that, you know, in, in your own space. So can you just talk about the platform off the top and how you're using gamification and different um, tech to try and accomplish that? Okay, so so I'm from I'm from Bahrain, so I'm from the GCC, and uh, I understand that the I guess maybe even worldwide chronic disease is rising. Okay, so diabetes, um, cardiovascular disease, uh, different types of dementia, especially Alzheimer's uh, dementia, is rising in my in where I live and and across the GCC. And when you say okay, what's the best thing that we can do? to prevent these diseases, it's modifiable lifestyle behaviors, exercise, eating a predominantly plant-based diet, getting enough sleep. The thing is, everyone knows those. Like I don't talk to someone and they say, really exercise is good for me? I never heard this before. But when you see everything that's being done in, 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 in this health space, like the, the public health programs, it's all about knowledge. It's all about education. It's all about telling people you need to stop smoking to, to not yell. They know, (laughs) they know, right? So why don't we do this? And um, I, I, I researched a lot about behaviors and I got to the blue zones in the world. So the blue zones in the world, I mean, it's fascinating. Your listeners can look it up. And these are places in the world where people are very healthy, and they live a very long life. And you think, okay, are these people just morally better? Do they just wake up in the morning and choose to be healthy? Or is there something in their environment that that nudges them towards making these healthy choices? And when you look at their environments, 
that's the thing because you don't look at these places in the world so it's like um sardinia in, in italy or okinawa in japan they don't have more gyms than we do they don't have more you know right um more apps more, apps, more wearables <laughs> they just live because that's the way they live and the places that have more chronic diseases have probably strayed away from that way of living. So in the Gulf, we went from an environment of scarcity to an environment of abundance almost overnight because of the uh, oil well. And our genetics have evolved over thousands of years to be really good at surviving an environment of scarcity. And now you, bam, the environment has totally changed and our genetics are like, whoa, 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 we can't keep up with this. And so how now do you fight that environment? Because it's hard, you know, it's hard to wake up in the morning and choose to be active when we now drive everywhere or choose to eat well when um, the foods that are available now so conveniently um, don't suit what, what our genetics have uh, evolved to, to accept. And um, also like we, maybe we're programmed to eat because we came from an environment of scarcity. So we ate when food was available and now food is available all the time. So how do we change that? So it's not fair to keep blaming the individual to make better choices because if that was the case it wouldn't be the majority of people struggling it, it's a it's a pandemic and you can't just say you know one by one you need to make healthier choices you need to uh, stay away from uh, things that are numbing you know your stress levels like smoking or something like that you know so it, we have to address the environment and the things around us, and how do we do that? It's hard. Like, are we going to be able to change the entire environment? I don't think so. <laughs> but can we make healthy choices more accessible, like more fun? Because now if there is a choice between working out and not working out, I, I choose not working out because working out, I mean, as much as people say it's fun, it kind of sucks. You know, it's fun after it's fun after and maybe near the end but but you know your hair gets sweaty and it's tiring and there are a lot more I could do and you you really do have to invest that time like you have to that hour to working out so how do I make it fun how do I make it rewarding how do I compete with the other things that are giving me that dopamine and that reward and that seem um easier so I thought okay when you have kids and you want them to do things that they don't usually want to do, you give them stickers, right? <laughs> you know, a two-year-old will do anything for a sticker. And most humans, most adults are just toddlers with, with money. So, um, <laughs> and you just have to find the right sticker for them. So how can we hack the brain's reward system for adults and make health a game, make, make it rewarding, make the, until these habits stick. So I looked at apps that do that for other things. So for example, Duolingo, 
if you want to learn a language, it gives you rewards. There's leaderboards, there's that little challenge, there's an avatar. Um, you can compete against other people. And it, it works for a lot of people. It, it does it does work. Um, and in the Gulf, um, everyone has a smartphone. So the penetration rate is about 97% for smartphones. For wearable, uh, like smartwatches, it's about 30%. So people do have the tech. And if you want to reach a wide enough audience on a population level, tech is the way to go because we're very, very connected here. So if you could just push people through that technology, I think we could make uh, a massive impact and help people stick to the healthy behaviors they already know will help them live better, uh, healthier lives. Is your app just targeted to people from the Gulf or is it international? Well, I think when you're when, when you're designing, um, I think it could work for anybody, but I want to design it for the Gulf because we have a um, certain set of uh, environmental um, problems here. So the weather, for example, it's, it's hot. Like if I'm going to tell everyone, you know, you're going to need to walk everywhere. They're going to be like, oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> Summer's coming and I'm not going to walk to the office. So it, that might be different if you live somewhere more temperate and you could you could do that. So it will start with targeting people who live in the Gulf. But then you could, if it works, you can scale that to anywhere. You could personalize it and say and, and um, uh, link it to your location. So it would change the prompts depending on, well, it's really humid outside. Maybe you can't go for a walk, but let's do this workout. Or the weather is amazing. I think you you benefit being out in nature. So it can it can work for anyone once we get it, uh, once we scale it to, to global. Uh, you're one of the first people I've spoken to. You're the first person I've spoken to. And I speak to a lot of people in this space in this region who has pointed out that all of the things we hear that make it difficult for people, i.e. we used to live in scarcity and now we live in this kind of abundance is like very recent history in this region. Like you're the first person that's voiced that to me. I mean, it's true, but, but there's an extra, like how big is that I mean, when we're talking about this for other people, it's like hundreds of years, right? And here we're talking decades. Yeah. One generation. Yeah. So my my father would have grown up in an environment of scarcity. Yeah. So my father would have known hunger. Right. Because there was no food. And and most people in the Gulf would have known that. Yeah. I I don't know hunger unless I'm on a diet. (laughs) Right. But that is in us as well, right? Like I'm learning this, that our parents and grandparents, their DNA is in us. And we experience the things that they did, even if subconsciously we don't know it, like their DNA, we still have that scarcity. Well, I'm not from the Gulf, but you would have that scarcity embedded in you in a more, in a more visceral way, I guess, than I would with my, you know, ancestors coming over from England in the 18, early 1800s kind of thing and having to set up life in Canada in frontier land or whatever. <laughs> 
be a risky transition. I don't know how. Yeah, that- it's just a long, much longer time ago. Like this is like we're talking, you know, 1970. Yeah, we're talking 1970 exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. Okay, so how actually, can you just give us some examples of your platform and what you're working on that you've, things that you have found that work and how they, like, just how demonstrate how they would work for us? Not demonstrate, but, you know, describe. So when we, we're doing it, like, we're um, interviewing different people and seeing what works for them and what doesn't work for them. A lot of it is like we thought big rewards would work. Um, a lot of it is competition. So people like to compete. Okay. And as uh, much as we say, don't compare and blah, but if you see someone else doing something, you're, you push towards doing it. And when we had the, the initial um, interviews, uh, people would message me and said, oh, I started going to the gym or I did this today because they just got that boost of, oh, look, everybody's doing it. It's okay. You know, I can do it too. Um, the other thing is we had, um, um, there was a competition that we had and every time you did something, you put a tick on a, on the wall and you, and you saw that. And it was just the physical act of going and, and putting the tick. And it was more than like, you know, when you, you do something and you should get that hit of dopamine, but if you have a to-do list and you take it off, it's even more awesome. Right. So even Things like that, like little things like that just made them happy that, you know, oh, and they wanted to know who else, who has more ticks than me, who did. Uh, so, so things like that worked. They worked in, uh, I've only done this in a short term. I don't know how this will work long term. Hopefully what we want is that it works in the short term and then you create a habit. And then it sticks with you. That's what we we are aiming for. Um, so these are the things that worked. We don't know any downsides yet um, because there is research that if someone likes doing something, enjoys working out, and you start rewarding them, um, they may lose their intrinsic joy of doing that. So <laughs> we don't want to. We don't want to do that. You know, we don't want to take that away. And, and I, I don't want to create something that creates a problem for people. Right. So um, it, it's because like, it, you know, even with kids, like sometimes they'll tell you if you reward your child for cleaning their room, they'll just think that that's the value of cleaning my room, that reward, instead of saying, well, no, I have to clean my room as part of my life. So we want to be very, very careful in how we give the rewards Uh, So that that isn't created for people. That's really interesting because I think we live in a time, you know, there's, this is a podcast about health, but we live in a time where everyone is hearing more information than they've ever heard. And I know in my own life, I'm like, okay, I'm getting my morning sun. I'm grounding. I'm like things that are a human enjoys are becoming like things I need to do. And I'm very aware. I don't want to be trudging through them just right. Like, I think this is what you're talking about. Yeah. Taking boxes rather than having the visceral like loveliness and even cleaning your room. If you can explain to a kid, like this is part of being an adult and taking care of yourself. This is, it feels good to take care of yourself. It's part of, okay. Right. So we want to make sure that in our, um, in our um, test groups, we're not creating problems. 
we don't want to we don't want to create something that is addictive because you want to you know collect these rewards but then in the long term it's not really creating good healthy relationships with these healthy habits okay so you don't want to interfere with our joy but you want to incentivize it's very okay we're very tricky do you ever sometimes think because you were in banking and finance and then you went back and studied neuroscience yes what like what prompted you to do that? Um, so I, I worked in banking and finance for 10 years. I reached burnout um, by the end of those 10 years. I had two little kids and uh, I had the perfect life. Like I had no problems. I mean, uh, we're talking about Bahrain in the 2000s and I had a good job. My husband had a good job and everything was perfect, perfect, perfect. But uh, I came home one day and I thought I was having a heart attack. I thought I was dying. Um, I called my husband to take me to the hospital. Um, I said bye to my kids. I called my sister. I said, you need to take care of my kids because I'm. you may never see me yet. And then, <laughs> then I went to the hospital and there was nothing wrong with me. My body was functioning perfectly. But my mind had decided that this stress was so much. I stress for what? I don't know. But um, it was so much that it, it must be something really bad. Um, and um, I had reached a point, I think, that I didn't want to go further in banking. I, I didn't see myself. And I was up for promotion. And I kind of didn't want that because I didn't want that, uh, that life. And I went to... Um, to my boss and I said, can I have flexible hours? Can I have, um, I'm willing to take a pay cut, like half my pay, just give me. And they were like, no, if we do that for you, everybody would want it. I'm like, I don't think so. Only I would want it for a few months. And they were like, no. And then my husband's job moved to Dubai and it was a good exit for me to, to leave my job. And then I became full-time mama. Um, which was great. I really enjoyed it. And um, I was with my kids. And when I was with my kids at school and I would volunteer for things at school, I'd like to, I like to watch people and kids and what they do and um, the human behavior. And uh, we, we, I don't think we ever outgrow that. Like we, we, we all behave in the same way. We just know that as adults, we get into more trouble. So we behave a little bit better but you know we're, we're always behaving that same way and it fascinated me so I went I read a lot about psychology and the brain and why we do things and then when the kids went to high school I said okay I'm gonna I'm gonna retrain uh, and then study neuroscience and and brain and psychology and I and I actually enrolled in the program about two months before COVID hit <laughs> which nice. was which was, yeah, it gave me something to do during that time, um, which I loved. And I just loved, I love human behavior, like why we do what we do and how can we change it? And I think it's so yeah. important. Um, so that's how I transitioned from, from banking into, into this space. And then my final thesis I did was on Alzheimer's disease, early detection of Alzheimer's disease, because we wanted to, um, at that time, there was a lot of talk about new drugs coming out. And the earlier you detect a disease, the earlier you can treat and prevent it, which is the model, I think the medical model is to treat with pharmaceuticals. The earlier you know, the earlier you can get people on drugs. 
pharmaceuticals definitely have a place um, uh, in, our, in our health and they help a lot of people. But these drugs didn't work as, uh, as well as people thought they would. And while I was studying, it was like lifestyle behaviors work better. So if you have a lifestyle, if you have exercise and you have proof that exercise works better than this drug that has side effects, why not just give it to everyone? Like mm -hmm. why just, doctors should be prescribing exercise. They should be prescribing sunlight, mm -hmm. you know, you know, prescription, like, like you must get, you know, sunlight or you must get exercise. Maybe people would take it seriously. I don't know. Uh, but uh so that was like, okay. And it's not just for Alzheimer's disease, it's for everything, everything, your mental health, your mood, everyone. All the exercises show that the closest thing that we have to a panacea that will help all our problems is exercise. And so I'm like, okay, why aren't we doing this? Huh. And that's huh. where my idea came out to create something that would help people to... Uh, to engage in these healthy lifestyle behaviors. So Alzheimer's and dementia, I mean, the rates, I can't recall the exact rates, but they're really set to skyrocket in around the world, but in this region in particular. And some people say that this region is aging now in a way that, you know, it's got an older population that's reflecting that, but also just the rates of chronic disease in general. So yeah. In terms so, of dementia and Alzheimer's, yeah. So what's your what's your take on that? Dementia, the last report that came out in the Lancet, so Alzheimer's dementia is globally is um is predicted to increase in the next 20 years by like 160%. But then if you take the GCC, every single country in the GCC, you're talking about 800%. Yeah, right. 1,200%. And I'm like, okay, well, we're not aging that much. More than it doesn't that. explain it. And okay, is diagnosis becoming more? Uh, that could be like, maybe before um, a dementia or Alzheimer's dementia was only diagnosed if it was really bad, but now you're getting diagnosis with mild cognitive um, uh, disorder. So you say, okay, there, there might be diagnosing it earlier, but I don't know. Like, even when I talk to my parents, they don't remember this. They don't remember old people having dementia. And we had old people. Like, it's not like nobody was aging in, 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 in the Gulf, but um, there's something going on. There what do you think? What do you think is going on? I think um, old people used to be a lot more active. So I remember my grandparents, um, like from my mom's side, she was really active. They, they'd walk everywhere. They, they, they'd have, um, uh, they, they'd work in the house a lot. So even if they weren't physically active, they, they were active. And also they would help a lot with um, the grandkids. Maybe now not so much because People here have, uh, they, they've separated. They don't live together anymore. Um, they, when we have kids, they'll get outside help to help with the kids. And maybe older people are feeling less useful as they're aging. 
This is a theory. I have no scientific backing or data to support this. This is just my theory. And that when you, you know, people are retiring at a very early age in the Gulf, you know, they're, they're trying to push that retirement age now, but there is, and then there's nothing to do for years. I, I think that that is contributing to this rise in, uh, in dementia cases. Again, I don't have proof, but this is my thought on this. Well, when you look at the research, I mean, the, the list of things that contributes to dementia is so long and varied that it's very difficult to pinpoint a reason. It's like a, it's like a confluence of events, kind of all chronic diseases like this. Right. But in dementia, I, there's a doctor in the U S Dr. Dale Bresden. Are you, he, he does a lot of work on Alzheimer's and dementia and slowing down after diagnoses. And he, he sort of calls it a leaky roof with like 36 holes in it that you're trying to patch. And there's a whole bunch of different and exercises. Nutrition is pivotal. And then within nutrition, specific kinds of foods, but um, it's, yeah, it's pretty scary. Like it's, it's a pretty scary one. It, they're all scary, but this one is scary too, especially in the Gulf. Cause there's not, I mean, there's not a, a system to support caring for people, right? Like there's not the old, in the system it, where there is a system is creaking and groaning under the dementia cases in say North America where they do have a system, but you know, a system of, of old age homes and, and things like that here too. So it's also concerning. I think also like, I don't, I don't know about the West, but here there's a stigma around Alzheimer's disease. So if somebody does get Alzheimer's disease, like uh, friends that I know that their parents got Alzheimer's disease, they kind of isolate the patient. Mm. And uh, I think that contributes to, to the symptoms mm. faster mm. because they need to be out. They need to be talking to people, even if they, they maybe forget something here or there. I know how hard it is. I really do. But um, I think that needs to change. We need to know people who have Alzheimer's disease. We need to see people in media who would come out and say, oh, you know, by the way, I have Alzheimer's disease and I'm, this is mm. how I'm. I'm dealing with it. I think the stigma is also there. It's not there for any other chronic disease. I don't know, but with anything that has to do with the brain, there's also there's always a <laughs> stigma. What do we always say? I'm losing my mind. I'm, you know, I'm, I've lost it. It's the thing we're all the most scared of. And connection and purpose are often listed. And you know, when this discussion in the West, and you're right, like if you don't have that. I mean, we're living, the thing is we're living longer, weirdly we're living, we're living longer, but we're sicker. <laughs> so I think we had, well, how important do you think it is to make a plan for that later part of your life? Like it, so important because what are you going to do? So our lives, so, so let's say my, when I was born in 1975, my lifespan was 70 but my health span was around 65. Now, today, I'm expected to live to probably over 80, but my health span is still 65. They've given me 10 more years of being sick. I didn't ask for that. Who's gonna finance that? I didn't, right? What the, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I didn't, okay, ask me first. 
but but they're the, you know you don't have a say in this you're gonna live longer they're they're trying to push it to 90 or to 100 and i'm like okay but my health span is still 65 yeah and it's going to be so expensive to go from 65 to 100 and who's going to bear that cost my kids the next generation like what what's so how can i make that better myself um because I, I don't want to be a burden to anyone and I don't want to be a burden to myself and when we did our research especially the women the, the number one reason they wanted to be healthy was not to be a burden I think it's just such a such a fear God, me be a burden I'm such an independent uh person like who's gonna take no I don't want anyone to take care of me and I don't want to take that away from women it's so important to them you know, it gives them their dignity and their and their uh, self worth and, and being independent women. Um, and I don't want that to be taken away from me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, what can we do? How can we be healthier? Um, and it's and it's not more knowledge. Like I like you said, I'm. It's a. I, I've been listening to so many podcasts about health. Like when I go on my walk, and I, and I've been and right now there's so much about cold plunging and. I've heard so much about cold plunging. Do you know how many times I've cold plunged? Zero. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, how can you be healthy if you don't cold plunge? But I know it's good. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. It's just things. What I'm learning as I'm older and I've been in this health and wellness for so long is there's trends and I... And just because everyone's saying it's healthy, it doesn't mean it's healthy for you. And it doesn't mean it's necessary for you. It's just, it's trendy. It's like high school. It's like something's the cool thing to do. And like, I do like cold plunging. I started doing it a couple of years ago. And when I'm not right in the morning, I stick my face in a bowl of ice water. And it, I mean, nothing will change your mood faster than that. That's the reason I do it. Is it helping? I don't know. But, you know, you'll just as quickly hear someone say, oh, it's not good for your thyroid. It's not good for this. It's not good for that. Right? Like, you shouldn't be high. You shouldn't be cold. It's crazy. Like, you could just get, drive yourself absolutely crazy with all of it. But, um, yeah. So, I'm curious with you personally. Like, you know about change. You've made changes. You've moved countries. You've left your career, which is incredibly difficult. You became a stay-at-home mother. And then now you went back to school what do you, first of all, what's helped you make changes? What difficulties have you found when you've been making those changes? I think my personality, I like change. I'm just one of those people that gets uh, fidgety. Every, you know, I just need to move around. And, and, and so I like change. I think moving countries, moving from Bahrain to Dubai was re- a relatively easy move. It's, uh, I can find the same culture here uh, and the same language, the same foods, the same weather. It's, it wasn't like, I'm not going to say, oh my God, I moved countries. It's, it's, I know people move countries to somewhere totally different. They don't speak the language. So it wasn't, it wasn't that hard for me. Leaving my job was hard. And the reason leaving my job was hard was because I felt like there's a certain set of expectations from a woman. (laughs) You know, you must do this. You must succeed in your career. You must, you know, have kid number one. You must have kid number two. And then, and I, when I left my job, my mom was like, why are you leaving your job? Like, what? This is, 
it felt like they worked so hard for women to be able to be in employment. And now I'm going to, you know, and that was a hard one. There was a little bit of a guilt trip there, but I, I knew I had to do it. Like I was like, I had to do it. I was, that, that was the hard part. Like, am I just a stay at home mom? And then there's a little bit of stigma associated with that, but you studied so hard and you're, you know, but it's, it was fun. It was fun for me. And I think I was useful as, as, as a mom. So that was a, that was a positive for me. Um, so I, but I just like changing things up. Some things have not been easy. So um, exercise was not, it's not easy making exercise part of my life. Like, I'm going to be brutally honest about this. Like, I know people like, exercise is great. I was like, no, oh, this is horrible. I'd rather be doing anything else than be on this treadmill or lifting gross weights in a gross gym. You know, yeah. it's, it's, but just seeing the positive impact that it had on me. And even like the next day, like I'd sleep better when yeah. I exercise. Um, I, I ate, I made better choices when I sleep better. So it, it, it had a full on effect. So just seeing that, and I love data and that comes from my engineering background. So just seeing that helped me make the changes. And that's why I like data. I'm finding out maybe not everybody likes data as much as I do, but I feel like it's useful to see the, the results. Do you think fear of change plays into reluctance to adopt lifestyle changes that are necessary to feel better and prevent disease? I don't know if it's fear or if it's resistance to change. Like, um, I don't think we're afraid as much as like, I don't want to change my roots. Like, it's like, I'm, I'm going this way. It's worked to just make something a little inconvenient, I don't know. So for example, the morning sunlight thing, I've been trying to incorporate this into, into my life. And I just I just don't want to because there's bugs outside. <laughs> we were having the hornets. Uh, we have a hornet nest close by and, or yeah, hornets. And there's mosquitoes I'd have to spray on my, I just, you know, I, it's not a fear of, of sunlight. It's just that, oh, it's inconvenient. But doesn't your brain sort of kick up when you're taking, trying to start something new? Isn't, isn't there a mechanism in your brain where your brain doesn't want you to do something new? Like it will create, can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so what will happen is like you're, you as a person, you want to do the most efficient, like your, your body, your brain wants you to be as efficient as possible. If something works, and if you want to change it, you have to exert energy. Your body doesn't like to do that because exerting energy. Again, you come from a, a long line of people who lived in scarcity. You only used energy when it was vital. So why change? Like, you don't know what's going to happen. Like, uh, why are you going to take this risk? You know, everything else is fine. Like, why do you want to change? There is a resistance. Like, you... you the familiar, the known, the comfort in things that have worked so far. And you're like, okay, do I really want to inconvenience myself with something new? 
It's also the decision, like the cognitive load that comes with deciding to do something that's not a habit. So if you want to change something, like it could be something really, uh, really simple, like um, having water before your coffee, you know? And if you're someone who always has coffee first and you now want to have water before, that is tiring in the morning to always, oh God, but I've already made my coffee now. It's going to get cold. I'll have to heat it up again. This is so boring, you know? You know, and your body's like, why are you doing this? Let's just have our coffee first. <laughs> Let's just make it simple. Let's just make it easy. <laughs> and then if you want to do everything, like you want to get your sunlight, you want to ground, you want to meditate, you want to exercise, you want to eat right, you want to be social. It, so many things, you get overloaded. Your brain is like, too much. Mm-hmm. Let's stick with what we know. <laughs> okay. So make it fun. And what's your, make it fun and keep it simple. What's your dream for your, for Laya as your platform? I just hope that some, like for Laya, someone can pick it up and take it, take from it what they need to make their life better. Like they don't have to take the whole thing. They can stick with it as long as possible or as, you know, even maybe only for a few weeks. If they want a community, they would be able to find a community there. If they want to do things, like some people are very private. They don't want to share their data. They just want to see a tracking, a tracker or a journal that they get it from there. And we want to create something that can be personalized so people can change it to to be what they want. We don't want to tell people, this is what you need. You must follow these steps. They can skip things. Maybe people don't need help with exercise. They just need help with um, with getting inspiration for plant-based foods, you know, things like that. So that's what I dream, you know, that's what I want, that it's easy. And I don't want it to be a burden. Like some people were saying that they don't like using um, health apps because it just makes them feel bad or it's it's cumbersome they have to fill in a lot of information i don't want it to be, i don't want it to be used sitting for an hour thinking what did i do yesterday because I, that's going to get people really like they don't have time for that as much as it is you know passive data being collected that's okay um but i just don't want people to feel overwhelmed oh no another out that yeah. Okay. Well, thank you so much for talking to us about it. And we'll, we'll report back on your progress. As I, you will. I will. And if I have, I find any interesting data, I will share that as well. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. That's it for this week. If you liked the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. We'll see you next time on the Live Healthy Podcast.